Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Tales from Travellers podcast. I'm your host Greg, and I'm here to find some incredible stories about seeing the world, escaping comfort zones, hearing some tips and tricks about travelling and exploration from those who have or are continuously travelling the world. So whether that be a week, month, year or decade, I'm aiming to find out more about the obstacles that they overcame, the prep work that goes into planning such a trip, what it's like discovering new cultures and making new friends that could last a lifetime, whilst also hearing about the job that feeds the journey or the journey that feeds the job. And we're also looking to find out what makes someone want to step out into the great wide open. So let's start another episode of Tales from Travellers. Now I'm really excited today to be speaking to Matt and um, to discuss his destination, which if you've already seen the thumbnail and the title of this episode, it's given away where he is. But this destination has come up quite frequently in past episodes and it's something we've always wanted us to speak about more. So, Matt, could you please introduce yourself, whereabouts you are in the world, and what you're doing there? Okay, so, hello, I am Matt, and I am currently living in Japan. Uh, I've been living here for five, four years, going on five, and I am the stereotypical English teacher working in Japan. I mean, that is one of those aspirations. When people (laughs) think about travelling and working abroad, Japan is always really high on the pedestal. (laughs) And you've yeah. been there for like four or five years now. I mean, that's, that's quite years. impressive. And we'll dive into a bit yeah. more about the logistics of living in Japan. But f- I suppose the real question is, wh- why Japan? What what made you decide to move to Japan? Okay, so um, at university, um, I'm a historian slash archaeologist by training. Uh, so uh, I studied... Uh, three main topics at university one of them was Japanese history and my university happened to be have a Japanese kind of uh, campus uh, so there were a number of Japanese students who would come and study there I made friends with them and literally they were like hey come teach English in Japan you're cool and yeah here we are <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so it was a it was just that chance meeting of people at, at university yeah well I kind of you know what it's like at uni I history slash archaeology is a pretty I wanted to pick a pretty shotgun topic so that I would have some semblance of employability if that's a word and um, obviously I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left uni so as soon as somebody suggested it I was like you know what that, that could be an option let's see if I like it turned out I did so that's always fun um, yeah but how do you go about finding a job like that? Obviously, someone can say say it, and a lot of people do hear about teaching abroad. N- not a lot of people really know that you don't need a teaching qualification or you don't need background. A lot of people in a, the TEFL world, I myself, you kind of learn on the fly. But how about so did you go finding this job? I got it out of the blue. I just got a random phone call from an agency asking, do you want to work in China? But you've been told about it. So uh, it was suggested by a university careers advisor that, um, TEFL could be an option just to get an, another qualification. So I went to a TEFL course and, uh, and TEFL, um, not a course, what do you call it when you just go for like a taste, a taster day? Yeah, um, Orientation, yeah. Something. Uh, and I was like, okay, this seems cool. So after uni, I spent a year saving up money so I get a CELTA, which is your top, the top, one of the top TEFL qualifications, um, the most recognisable, one might yeah. say. It's like a thousand pounds, though. 
I was like young, so I didn't have any money. And um, just when I was on that course, people said, oh, if you want to move to like Japan, you can go via the JET program, which is my program that I'm going to Japan on. Uh, it's a scheme that's run by the government and it's kind of the famous teaching English English teacher scheme that's run by the government. There are a couple of them throughout East Asia. I think Korea also has one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's sort of how I found out about it. Someone just suggested it to me when I was doing my CELTA. Hey, do this, do do this. I think you'll be you'll be a fit for this. And that's how I found out about it. I didn't know about it beforehand. Going on from there, yet you get in the CELTA course. I mean, again, with me and the people I went out to China with, I'm going to end up bringing mm. up this TEFL comparison because I find it quite interesting. Yeah. Because I, after my first year in China, I did look about potentially going to places like South Korea and Japan. Again, this idea mm. of I, these beautiful countries, you want to just cross off your mm. list. But yeah. again, the, the bar for it and certain areas of China as well, they're, they're a lot higher for the qualification needed or a minimum amount of years experience. With your with, with the CELTA and getting set up, what was then the, the, the process for finding a school? It is, it is a pretty much a year-long process. So, for example, if you wanted to go to Japan next year, you would be applying now to get a... So we're currently in October. It's currently October. To get to Japan next year in August, you would be applying now for the JET program. So you send in your application. That's sent directly to the embassy. Um, that's seen over. If they like what they see, then they, you get invited to one interview. Uh, just the one. It's terrifying. Um <laughs> You go to the embassy in London, or if you go, if you're in Scotland, you can go to the consulate in Edinburgh. You're put before a council of, in my case, two, and you just have to sell yourself to these people, kind of. And if they like you, then you will get a shortlist notification around April. If, as was the case with most people I know, if they're like, do you really want this job? They'll shortlist you for a week. And if you don't immediately throw your toys out the pram, they'll, they'll, they'll send you a notification a week later going, you got the job. And then around, it's there's like a two month period where you'll eventually get your placement within Japan. So this is based on prefecture usually. So Japan is divided into prefectures, kind of like our historic counties. Mm. Um, and... In the case of where I am, Hokkaido, that's not really much help as to where you're going because Hokkaido is the largest prefecture in Japan. Um, So yeah, that's sort of the JET program application. And then if all goes to plan, everything goes, you'll be out in Japan in August. You've got a little bit of an orientation and then you'll be at your, um, your placement within the first week of August usually, or end of July. I can't remember if that's the question you asked. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that that's brilliant. I just want to go back into something. Um, you, you mentioned this kind of interview that's kind of like put upon you and say if they like oh, you. Yeah. What, what was the interview, interview process like? Is it more about how you hold yourself, how you present yourself, or a bit about your teaching Everything. experience? Um, I've blocked it from my memory. Um, <laughs> that's um, yeah, um, I think, obviously, it's because I it was a year-long process, so I really wanted it by this point, so it was just like... Um, Heart thumping. I seem to remember there being a brief grammar, spelling and grammar test. Usually you'll be put with another person and we were both terrified to hell. Luckily we both got on uh, on the programme, so we managed to meet up with each other in Tokyo afterwards. But um, yeah, it was kind of terrifying. Sometimes it, it varies by 
interview to interview and country by country. So the JET program isn't just a Japan UK thing. It is a Japan rest of the world thing. So uh, there are JETs, people on the JET program from Canada, from South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the UK, America, obviously. Um, Yeah, and also the JET program is not just about English teaching. So there are also non-English teaching JETs. It's the Japan Exchange Teaching Program, I think. I might be wrong about that. Um, And yeah, um, that's sort of the... You asked about the interview process. In, In my case, it was just dealing with how... What was it about, like... I honestly can't remember. Uh, I can't remember. I can remember other people's horror stories that they've told me about their interview process. Like they were asked to give a mock lesson. They were asked, they were given a specific scenario and told like, what would you do in this scenario? I was, in my head, I think I was, I remember talking about dyslexia. I remember talking about dyslexia and just something about that. So it, it varies wildly. And there are a ton of guides you can read online, like how to ace your jet program interview. It's stressful, but it's doable. Oh, definitely. I mean, obviously, it succeeded for you. So you've obviously passed with flying. I was, I was one of the waitlisted people. Oh. I was, I was, I was almost in my X Factor. Like, oh, fine, I'm going to be a superstar without you. Moment. I was oh. this place because I wanted it so much. And then also, there are other things, documents you need to collect in between that interim between you being accepted and you going to Japan. So for example, obviously you need an international child protection certificate. Mm. You need uh, certain medical checks. Uh, You need a criminal background check just outside of those things. Um, So especially if you're in that waitlist period, it can be a bit annoying because you don't know if you've got the job and you're having to go for like an x-ray and paying money for it, obviously, because you can't get it on the NHS. And it's like, you don't know if you've got a job at the end of the day. So it can be very frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. Do, do those kind of costs for the medicals and everything, do they get reimbursed by the school? If I mean, obviously, if you get the job, did they get reimbursed? I think, I think if I, if I had been clever, I could have gotten it reimbursed. I know um, when they had to do COVID tests, obviously, when I when I went over to Japan, they didn't have COVID tests, but the COVID tests that they had to do at the airport were reimbursed. But as for the x-ray, I don't I don't know if I got repaid. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> something for people to bear in mind. Keep hold of your receipts. Yeah, um, definitely have a bit of a nest egg ready because um, the expenses can come out of nowhere randomly. Yeah. Did I mean, If you don't mind me asking, what, did they advise to how much money you, you should have to take over with you to kind of almost set yourself up? Like, did the school prepare you for the move? How did the school prepare me for the move? Um, so I'm not actually employed by one school. So I'm what's known as a prefectural jet, technically. So I don't work for my base school. I work for the Hokkaido Board of Education, which is the prefectural administration. So I actually teach at, uh, here's a number, 20 different schools. Um... I think I could say 25. I think I could say 25, yeah. Uh, Different schools. I just have one school that's like my base administrative school that I go to on a more regular basis than the other schools. Um, Yeah, so in terms of like what they prepared, there's a number of JET documents you can read uh, just because 
some jets aren't prefectural based they're municipal some jets are just in one school those are usually the jets in the big cities um so it varies from jet to jet so it's kind of difficult to prepare us on mass in terms of money they told us to bring i think just bring as much as you can <laughs> just do that <laughs> that would be my advice yes i think that for well, we'll come on to a bit more about living in Japan and the cost of living. But I suppose mm. with um, one thing I was reading on when you told me you were living in, and forgive me if I butcher names, uh, so you live in the southern Hokkaido. Hokkaido, yeah. Hokkaido. Southern Hokkaido, yeah. So um, while looking online and like diving into it, it's, it's much more of a rural city. Again, very far north to what people would kind of... Mm. I, I think a lot of people, when, the, when I hear people talk about Japan, yeah, it's yeah. Tokyo, the south, Osaka, and I suppose the yeah. tour of these places. But with, with Hokkaido mm. being quite far north, apparently the expat population is quite low. There's still, fair, you know, there's not as many mm. foreigners. There's not many foreigners, expats in the majority of Japan, I suppose. Mm. But what was the, um, how did you land in Hokkaido? Did the, did the school send you and several members of the JET program there? How did I land here? Like the, the process of getting here? No, I mean, oh, sorry, sorry. How did the, how, how did you get assigned to Hokkaido as your prefecture? Did, did they give you a oh. list potentially to choose from? Or was it like this owner so, Hokkaido? So, so in the JET program application, um, you can suggest places yeah. um, that you want to go. So you, you can pick three top places that you want to go to. I'm not sure if you can say where you don't want to go to, but um, there are, I remember there being three top places. And I was just like, you know, I've never been to Japan. I don't want to judge a country I've never been to. Send me wherever. And that was my, my motto. So that's how I got Hokkaido. One thing that can certainly influence your placement, though, one thing most Brits that are on the JET program can't do is um, say that you can't drive. Okay. Uh, if you can't drive, you're much more likely to be a... Um, a city, a city dweller, just because cities have transport. Um, but yeah, that might also impact your ability to get on the jet program because some kind, some places you need to drive. But um, yeah, generally, if you're good in your interview, they'll send you to the placement that you want. And generally, again, do, do they give you the options of again? Like, I want to say like Tokyo. Like, do they literally list all the major cities around Japan? Like, is there like a page I think of it's, destinations? I think it's not like a Dropbox. It's like a you type in where you want to go, oh, and you can also specify a reason as well. Like, for example, um, I know people who say like, "Oh, I have family history there," or "I went," or "I studied there at university," or um, "It's an area I'd really love to explore." Um, something like that. So, as long as you've got a good reason to go there, um, obviously, most people don't want to go to Tokyo because expensive um that is a big city um but then it's a trade-off because obviously then it's you're in tokyo so that's the trade-off like but coming to hokkaido it's um i was pleasantly surprised because the south of hokkaido is the more developed part i'm not sure if um people know this but hokkaido was kind of the newest part of japan um if you know japanese history um you know that like about 200 years ago, Japan, uh, Hokkaido wasn't really declared part of Japan. And there are still uh, the Ainu, the native people of Hokkaido, who do live in Hokkaido and aren't really viewed as Japanese, um, if that makes sense. So it's the south of Hokkaido is more developed and the north is less so. Having said that, uh, I live in one of the biggest cities in Hokkaido, Hakodate, uh, there is a bigger city that's up north, Sapporo. I think it's the fourth largest city in Japan. And yes. that one is a big... Yeah. I think when I was reading on a, a Sapporo, 
I think they were saying that mm. the cost of living there is about 30% cheaper than that in Tokyo. Um, mm. Would you... Um, would you say that's right? I mean, obviously, you don't, you don't live in Sapporo. I don't live in Association. Right. Hokkaido is a reasonable place to live when it comes to cost. So talking to people, if so, we're both Brits. So talking to people to compare it to London, yeah. uh, most people say that the difference between Tokyo and another city in Japan is not as much of a problem as the difference between, say, London and like a medium-sized city in the UK. Um, I'm about an hour from London where I come from in the UK and I remember like on the train if you were to stop the prices just get almost one pound higher at each train stop until you're like ten pounds for a slice of pizza probably not even that like more than that right yeah um, but Tokyo it's it's definitely more expensive but it's not as bad as London I would say it's you can live there you can live there I mean, I, I remember when, when when I last went, it was about seven years ago. I, Everyone, I think back then, a lot of people, whenever you say you were going to Japan, that the joke was, I hope you're taking out a mortgage to go for a two-week holiday in Japan. But when when going there, it I, I wouldn't say it was ridiculous. I'd say you can spend as much money as you want. But um, Definitely, definitely. Um, I went to Tokyo this, this July, and I definitely just spend as much money as I want. <laughs> but that's because I wanted to spend it. Exactly. Uh, I would say, like, one thing where the expenses are kind of different in Japan is that consumption tax in Japan is about 10%. Consumption tax is a VAT. Yeah. Um, we do this at school. It's why I know a lot about this. <laughs> um in the UK, it's 20%, I think. And it's generally cheaper, and I don't know why, maybe for this reason, to eat out in Japan than it is to cook at home. Oh, wow. So that's a thing. It's it's generally it's generally cheaper. Also, Japanese houses are generally designed for the act of cooking not to take place in them. Tiny kitchens. Tiny kitchens. Like, imagine, imagine, imagine a kitchen with one counter. That's your standard. In the oh, wow. in Japan, <laughs> Pop, right? that's what um, got to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a frustrating dream. Start buy a counter. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's generally cheaper and a lot easier to eat out. So, like for example, like a full set meal at a medium quality like restaurant is gonna set you back like eh, like a curry and rice, probably usually about eight hundred yen. And how how much is roughly eight hundred yen? Um, uh, we might have to Alexa this. Um, it's it's usually about one thirty. It changed rapidly while I was here, which I was thrilled by. Um, I think it's about one thirty, so about five ish, six ish quid. At Seven Eleven, you can definitely buy like a re- ready meal for like four hundred yen, five hundred yen ish. Oh, so, I remember the the Seven Elevens. I I love them. Yeah. Having yeah, they have a bigger they, kitchen than what most people would have in, in the Seven Eleven. Oh yeah, they do. They do the fried chickens, the sandwiches, the everything. They're good. It's quite and good. deadly, uh, and deadly. Oh gosh, yes. I huh, I fell yeah. in love with their their multitude of chocolate and and different. So my favorite thing is yeah. um well actually my, my my girlfriend's favorite thing was they had a um a, Japan is nuts for vending machines on on the streets of Tokyo. Yeah. And the hot, the hot cans of coffee that came out of them was a pleasant oh, yeah. surprise, and it became almost like Pokemon cards. We had to collect them all. She's got a photo album dedicated to mm. coffee that she found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, sometimes you can also get like the rare, the rare drinks. So if you come across across a peach Fanta, that's very rare. Ooh. 
Um, so if you ever find one, that's that's a good one. I my, my school my school vending machine used to stock Pete Fanta, so I had like a supply, and they stopped stocking it, and it was the saddest day. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> well, it was a good day for my thighs, but a sad day for my brain. <laughs> Fanta Zero, maybe one day they'll come back with a Fanta Zero peach for you. <laughs> Don't suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of the school and the school food, let, let's dive into a little mm. bit of your working day and just what it's like oh, to be a teacher, in, teacher in, in Hokkaido in Japan. Now, mm-hmm. again, I'm going to compare it to how, how I had it. There's, I was kind of placed in a school in Wenzhou. I didn't really know where I was going until we got off the plane. And in where, sorry? In, I was in Wenzhou, China. So it's about, you know, it's about four or five. It's a coastal city, about four or five hours south of Shanghai by the train. Okay, I know. Um, it's, it's, it's a very rural area that have fishermen's kind of community, mm-hmm. but um, I worked in a private school and I worked mm. in the in, in the primary side of things. But I'll, I had a, probably about four or five hours a week um, actual teaching, and in between mm. that was free periods. Maybe I'd, I'd teach a drama class as well, nice. and it, I'd say it was fairly relaxed. It was fair. You know, we could come and go as we please, being the the Western teachers. In all honesty, we were kind of there more for the marketing than anything else. Um, just to, oh, yeah. to try and entice more, you know, well-funded <laughs> families to join the private school. And, I see, I see, I see. Yeah. And so, some of the um, the people I went out with, what what we'd say is the first year you kind of get settled in. You hmm. you you make the most of it. You make what you want out of being the tepo teacher of that school at the time, and yeah. it's. I'd agree. It can be what you want. There, there was not massive amounts of stress, but what is it like for you? But let's start off with the first point. What was your, say, preconception about being a teacher in Japan? Preconception about being a teacher in Japan. So uh, general trend with me is I tried not to have any like um, idea of what it of what it would be like. I just sort of anticipated the idea that there is a, a stereotype that Japanese students are very don't tend to answer questions in class not because they don't know the answer but because they're generally afraid they don't want to answer that's the only stereotype I came in knowing and to a certain extent it is a bit true but now that I've been here four years I can I can work my way around it but um in terms of what my my general what my general day is like yeah, well, like, how does? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about your first day. What What was the first day like of walking through the one of your schools? of working? Oh, it was all admin, 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 admin. Um, all of the admin going to the municipal office, doing all the thing. But um, no, my first lesson is generally um, of the school year, especially to first grade students, is a self introduction of myself. Um, it's a fun sort of interactive activity where the kids get to. I have to do three things and this is not something that I just did naturally because I'm a good teacher this was by a trial and error that I can do this I need to get them to a speak English b like speaking English and c like me so <laughs> and I'm not saying I did that naturally initially but after I've done it like 50 times at 20 different schools like I know exactly how to do it at this point <laughs> Um, I could describe to you just sort of what sort of topics we cover in the school year, if you want. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Like, and just, so, just before we kind of go into it, before we dive into the topics, yeah. what, um, what grades did you teach? Was it primarily the younger years? So it or depends on the school. 25 schools. Um, as, as, a, as a municipal ALT 
to, no, I'm not musical, prefectural, the one I am. Uh, I teach at basically three different kinds of schools. I teach at um, high schools. I teach at technical schools, which are schools that specialize in a certain industry. So for example, fishery or agriculture or engineering. And I also do teach at special needs schools. So for example, schools for kids with mobility issues or autism or um, stuff like that. Um, And so the, the school day generally varies with that, with that, but at your typical, like, I'd say I'd say it's basically kind of kind of similar. So when you're an ALT, an assistant language teacher, that's the my official sort of term in Japan, you kind of don't teach on your own ever. You always teach with a Japanese teacher of English or JTE. And so at each school it varies to what sort of thing they want you to do. And when I say it varies at my schools, I also imply that too. It varies for every single school throughout the whole of Japan. Like your relationship with your JTE and what is required of you is very specific to your situation. Um so I'm not sure if I'm gonna be any help on that front, but to describe to you what my general base school uh level uh what my base is um, basically, the the lessons are split in two. So, with the Japanese teacher, they will learn the harsh grammar stuff. I generally help the Japanese teacher um, sort out the kinks, make sure they they are correct in what they're saying. But I don't have any sort of say in the control over the lessons of what what they're learning, and I generally don't participate in those classes. In my classes, we have the English communication class, and that's when it, I'm T one. I am in charge i can to a certain extent influence what is actually happening like in terms of i can say to the japanese teacher like okay this doesn't work and i don't see what the students are learning from it let's just throw it all out the window and let's learn something else um yeah so that's sort of what my our learning structure is in japan okay that makes sense at my base school which is very specific to my situation at my base school, and not the case throughout any of my other schools. <laughs> so, is there a curriculum that's handed out by the um, the, obviously the education sector, and they say this is what we're covering for the the term, the semester? There are education standards of what they need to know, okay. of what the student should know, but there's generally not. I'm not sure. There are like tests the students can go to that are like where they can pass a qualification in English and then that will look good at a, at a um, on a university application. So the famous one is the Aiken test or the and you also have like the TOEIC test. I think Aiken is actually happening this weekend, if I'm wrong about that. Uh, and there are various levels the kids can take part in, but that's generally where they get their qualifications. They don't tend to get it from the school. It's like a separate qualification that they opt to do themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. And we at the school are just giving them the tools to answer that and also they come to me at lunch and go, oh, can you help me do my Aiken test? And I'm like, can I eat first? And then yes. <laughs> do you do much kind of extra extra work with them? Or as you mentioned, you have your the, the kind of Japanese teacher that you're kind of working with throughout the lessons. Yeah. But I suppose, do you have the, are you, I don't want to make it sound like anything like, like talking down, but are you allowed to have like the students have private one-to-one sessions or do you have to be like oh. kind of supervised by Japanese teachers say, no, it has to be done like this? So to compare it to like your situation, I say it's quite similar to your situation in that like we're, we're given a bit of, bit, we probably have a bit more freedom in terms of what we can do with our free time than the Japanese teachers do. Mm. So um, basically in my free time, I can kind of make 
myself generally as busy as or as um, non-busy as I kind of want to be or to try and like if, if I want to be good at my job obviously I try to like prepare stuff and like try and like troubleshoot it and stuff like that but if, if I wanted to I didn't I don't have to do that I mean that's kind of a dick move but <laughs> um, yeah that too that's definitely definitely especially when you've got like four classes in a row like I'm just like I'm gonna sit here I'm gonna listen to music and like that's it that's all I'm gonna do um but yeah what was your question again sorry I forgot I mean ju just if you're allowed to prepare your own like individual sessions if a student comes up to you and says can you help me do this yeah so typically if if they do want that we have a massive sign on the wall saying like if you want to talk please come to us at lunch arrange a time and tell us what you want to talk about sometimes it's just like i just want to talk to you to improve my english that's absolutely fine sometimes it's uh i've got a test coming up and i need to prepare for it again absolutely fine i need to improve my english to get into a very specific university application program yeah that's fine and then there are also our semi-official extracurricular activities which is helping out with like english club yeah so that for example or english club based activities so there are for example presentation contests debate contests speech contests and we help out with that too so so all very academic do you do anything again we we kind of got put on making an end of year show for a lot of the parents in the school when it was doing <laughs> drama and book classes a lot oh, of nice. stuff um, is a lot yeah. of the extracurriculum stuff that you did, was, was it purely a bit more academic or could you dive into doing, I don't know, sports or arts and crafts or drama or, or something a bit more I think, creative? I think I've had, if I had the time, I probably could, but like I'm knackered <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, and no, I do know of some ALTs who are like, yo, I want to try um, Kudo or Kendo. Uh, Kudo is Japanese archery. Kendo is the, the sword thingy. Yeah. Um, or even like calligraphy, Japanese calligraphy, or um, have participated in class like ikebana the, the flower arranging okay. um i've done an extra class in that before that was fun um i've been asked to help out with music classes before just because they were singing like a disney song and they were like hi can you like teach us the proper pronunciation of this and i'm like sure um we've been asked to help out with history classes before but our base school is very academic so academia is the main thing yeah. that we tend to focus on but also when we're not doing anything academic we do arrange fun things in our free time it's october right now i'm arranging a wonderful halloween costume contest that's fun using my own money fun oh wow love it <laughs> i mean at the end of the day the kids have fun it's kind of, it's kind of worth it it's kind of worth it yeah you know that that, that joy is your own reward mm. <laughs> definitely definitely you mentioned like obviously being tired having a long day is it a solid nine well you know the classic is it a nine to five stay on school grounds be available do your lessons or is it a bit more depends on your situation in japan um yeah um it depends on the situation in japan uh, it depends on the situation with your with your work typically if i just like say to someone like yo can i like go grab some lunch they're like yeah sure <laughs> okay and do, you mentioned you're yeah, so it's quite five schools as well do you have to do you bounce yeah. between them during the day or is it one school per day throughout the month so again depends on your situation but in my case uh it's different days are assigned to different schools so i will be at my base school generally tuesday wednesday thursday and then monday friday i will be at what we call a visit school which is a different school um and that is all reimbursed um reimbursed for money reimbursed for time because it's 
it's through the job so it's you're required to do that um yeah but sometimes uh you'll be sent to like a random school or you go to a different school for a week just because that's what they've requested so it's kind of what the school wants to do and they'll send you like or they're meant to send you lesson plans in advance and um yeah and then you can teach them or like if in the ideal scenario they'll they'll send me through like what they want to two weeks in advance and then they'll be like can you make something to deal with this so for example school the other day was like can you make a presentation on your favorite song not because they care what my favorite song is but because they wanted to see a good presentation um, <laughs> and how to give a proper presentation in english if that makes sense i mean they cared about my favorite song but that was the purpose of it <laughs> yeah it's like the most english song that's recognizable i suppose yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for us, it oh, was usually it's something by the Beatles. Oh, see, we had Queen in, in, in my school. It was always Queen. <laughs> that too, especially when I just arrived because Bohemian Rhapsody had come out. Oh. So the kids loved it. Yeah. Yeah, no, we had that. It was Don't Stop Me Now. I had to do a terrible performance of it. And I, oh, I, I'm, I'm the sorry. king of miming, let's say that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that sounds like that, that would be my idea of hell. But <laughs> yes, it was. It was pure hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned getting reimbursed and moving between the schools. Do you um? Mm. Did the school provide transport? Are there bus links, or do you have a car? Or... So, at the Hokkaido Board of Education, so again, very specific to me, um, we aren't allowed to drive for insurance purposes. Oh, um, because you need a special insurance thing. So we're not meant to have cars. So it's all public transport, and that is factored into account i know at certain board of educations they get they have a board of education car that you have to use and then at certain schools they'll be like you can use your own car but we need to have like a special insurance policy just because you're using it for work instead of your own personal reward yeah that so yeah um yeah and also you get reimbursed for stuff like business trips and I think I think there is a pot for you to like buy school supplies, but it's like it's it's so there are so many bureaucratic white fangs around that you're just like, no, it's not worth the mental stress to try and get it. I'll just buy my own pens. (laughs) (laughs) Completely fair, completely fair. I would like to dive into like kind of the 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 living situation. Did the when you you arrived in Hokkaido and obviously with the school, did they take obviously first step, did they show you to your apartment or did you have to go house hunting with the through the yeah so um again very wildly (laughs) sorry i keep saying some people have to explore for their own house some people um will get put with like a guest person and uh, a guest family until they a host family what am i saying a host family until uh they find their own apartment again this is specific to the jet program and in my case the school has specific teacher housing that it can put you in um and then you can move out later if you don't want to. The teacher housing is like government-owned subsidised housing. So my rent is actually pretty cheap. The downside to that is it's government-subsidised housing. So it's like, oh, might be a little bit run down. Yeah, most of it was built in like the 60s or in my house, like the Cretaceous period. <laughs> like it, it's like, even even my teachers were like, so yeah, your house is old. <laughs> like, we're sorry. Um, but I've, I put up with it because the rent is cheap. It's like dirt cheap. It's really good. <laughs> well, I, I suppose with the rent being cheap, the rest of your cost of living, we mentioned eating out. It's kind of more designed around eating out. You don't really have a mm-hmm. kitchen. You've got a counter. 
and you've got a wonderful government yeah. subsidized housing. But yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> would you say that you're kind of not not to go, go into numbers, but would you say that your pay your monthly pay is enough to be comfortable kind of living while you're in Hokkaido enough to have adventures during term breaks? Touch wood while I'm while I'm here. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pretty it's been pretty nice. I'd say the jet program is very well um well reimbursed. I've heard the rumor that we are paid the same as a entry level Japanese teacher. Okay. I don't know how true that is, but considering that for some people they don't even have qualifications to teach, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it's it's certainly good, and especially on the jet program, your money does increase year by year. So okay. every year it goes up a little. The downside to that is that there is a cap at five years, and that's not the money not increasing. That's being on the jet program. You have to leave after five years. Oh really? So yeah. so are you com- um, coming to the end of the, the jet program? I'm coming year? to the end. I'm looking around for jobs. We've had this week alone. We've had the talk. Oh. <laughs> what happens after I leave? It's like. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a little bit. It's the end of times, but luckily I'm lining up some some different jobs. So we'll see what happens in the end. Eh? And you know, obviously they're they're in the pipeline. And now that we're on the topic, it, coming to the end of the the jet program, five years, is is the plan to hopefully stay in Japan? Do you want to stay teaching? Do you want to or do you want to come back? To I re- I would like you like like to stay here just for a number of factors. One, it's a very nice country to explore. And I feel like, especially because of coronavirus, I haven't really been able to explore a lot of it. Yeah. Um, number two, we're from the United Kingdom. Do I want to yeah. go back there right now? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> the other day I had a headache and I went straight to the hospital and they were like, let's put you in an MRI that day. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Okay. Downside is you had to pay money for it, but it wasn't that expensive. Yeah. But um, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, I. There are both. There are both social factors and economic factors at play. Um, so I would like to stay in Japan for just just a bit longer, just because it's a little bit more secure than it would be in the UK right now. At least that's my impression. No, I, mean, <laughs> I think a lot of people who, who want to go go around, especially in Japan, would want to stay. What, but what are the options for, a, obviously, a jet teacher? With five years' experience, I'd assume you'd be able to... Would your school keep you on board, or do you have to go find another school in another prefecture? We had the, this was this was our talk this was our talk this week. So very much, I I did ask like if it was a possibility. It was very much like the bureaucracy says no <laughs> kind of situation. I know at board, at some boards of educations where because it's I'm Hokkaido Board of Education. Hokkaido Board of Education is in terms of size, in terms of geographic size, the largest in Japan, probably like a Tokyo, I'm not sure if there is a Tokyo Board of Education, but um, Tokyo would be bigger in terms of numbers. But um, in terms of like size, it's huge. And just like the bureaucracy of it, probably it's just too complicated. But I know for smaller towns, uh, smaller municipalities, they've definitely hired people on, like said, you know what, we want you to stay for a while. Please, can you come and stay? In terms of different, getting a different job in Japan, I, from what I hear, once you're in Japan and working and have a working visa that you can transfer into another job, that is much easier than trying to just come at it from abroad and just enter Japan and get a working visa while you're here. I've heard many horror stories about that. Once you're here, it's, touch wood, it's not 
as bad getting a job for a kind of specific reason that we'll probably come on to in a bit. There's a very specific reason for it, but that's a, its own topic and we'll probably come on to it later. <laughs> I mean, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so, I, I mean, are, are you are you applying? Are there other agencies as well? Obviously, are you looking to stay in? Oh yeah. Apart, as well? Sorry, I should have said. So there are like other agencies. There's Jet. There's another one called Interact. Um, there are other like private companies that will do it. Obviously, private with private companies, be a bit cautious. I think I think the reason why one might favor the Jet program is because it's the government. Yeah. Whereas with a private company, there's a risk of exploitation. Obviously, especially if it's for a job that's not English teaching. Um, we just as a warning, there are companies that in Japan that are called black companies uh, that can do things that are basically against international law for example they'll confiscate your passport kind of like work on like an indentured labor contract i've i've heard of things like that not to not to like scare people but just to be cautious like i've heard of situations like that um uh yeah so there are other programs you can apply to japan to but just do your research and know know what you're what you're getting yourself into kind of yeah i'm gonna I, I can only imagine the, the amount of stress that will come with that. I, again, I only touched upon it when I was looking for roles over there. But again, I was looking mm. in areas like, foolishly enough, a um, bit, bit more south, a bit more central uh, Japan and around Tokyo. And there's a lot of agencies mm. of, around who were very much, you know, it is work 100% on commission. You've got to go out on the streets and drum up business. You're actually mm. d- doing your own work, being a peddler of the English language. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've never encountered anything like that. I imagine just maybe we've just ignored it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably for the best you just ignored it. I mean, that was just me probably not being smart enough. But um, again, I think at my time I was being way too optimistic coming out of um having having a bit of experience in uh in China, hoping to move to South Korea and Japan. But this is why we have these chats. <laughs> now, yeah, I've never I've never heard of anything like that. Maybe maybe do more research on that front. Yeah, I mean, it's best you don't come across it, I suppose. I mean, you're, as you said, you've got the in. You're, you're kind of settled and you, you know how things Yeah, go. a little bit settled. Know a couple people. Like, I was literally at dinner the other day and I was talking about it. Yeah, I, I got to leave. And, like, the woman across from me just says, like, do you want a job? Like, now? We'll take you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, not right now. Could you, like, hold down the job for, like, eight months while I'm still on my lovely jet salary, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. One thing I really want to dive into as well, probably the most exciting bit to find out is obviously you work mm-hmm. being an English teacher, you've got your friends, you go, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, offering you a job. The, um, it's, it's a, Japanese is a language so many people are fascinated by, especially in the West. They're so fascinated by kind of the, the far Eastern mm-hmm. languages, Chinese, Japanese, Korean. They're so different. They're, you know, they're a whole world apart. Yeah. And a lot of people can be almost put off continuing to learn it due to its seeming complexities. Um, yeah. But what about yourself? What is your proficiency in Japanese at the moment? <laughs> I'm assuming good. My proficiency in Japanese, yeah, I'd say certainly it's not as good as someone who's been here for four years should should be. It's really, really bad. Um, it's not so much an abil- a problem with my ability to understand. It's just my ability to, like, reproduce. Like, because I'm, I'm kind of, like, a bit of a, a, like, shy person. I like to think a lot about what I want to say in a situation. So I'm, like, I'm, like, it's, it's not, it's not that I'm bad at Japanese. It's that I just don't know what to say. But I'm an idiot. <laughs> and sometimes that's the thing. It's, like, I, like, when someone speaks to me, it's, like, 
it's not that I'm it's not that I don't know Japanese, it's that I'm just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Please, can you understand this? I mean... But, um, yeah, um, the complications with... Um, I think that the thing that throws people off a lot of the time is kanji. So that is the Chinese characters. And to know Japanese, you need to know 2,000 of them. So imagine if there were 2,000 letters of the English alphabet and you needed to know them in order to be literate in English. Like, we've got 26. Like, yeah. imagine 2,000. <sighs> um, it's a lot. I'm going to ask a silly question. How many do you know? <laughs> about four, 300. Okay. About four, 300. So it's, again, my ability to, to read them is fine. It, writing them, no. That's, that's never happening. That's no, I can recognise them. Uh, and I can type them. Typing them is fine. Just uh, writing them. Because sometimes uh, in the more traditional classes, you also have something called stroke order. So there's a very specific oh, yeah, way to write, to write a kanji. Another problem with kanji is my, my, my kanji rant, is that um, just as like in English, you have um, homophones, so words that look the same yeah. and have different meanings. Uh, Similar things in, in Japan. You have words that look very similar, that have very different meanings. You also have the fact that every kanji, every kanji, also has uh, about two different ways you can say it. So, and I'm like, how do you know which one is which? Just gotta know it. So you just gotta know it. So, so I know in, um, obviously in Chinese and Mandarin, they have the, the different tones go, and that's kind of in, in how they're written. If I remember correctly. So if you don't sure. know the word, it's like e -a -u -u. how does that work in Japanese? And you just have to know which way the word is pronounced, or is there some sort of indicator when you're reading? Oh, yeah. So for example, um if you ever see I'm not sure if you know like a kanji, but the kanji for fire you might recognize. It's like kind of like a triangle with like two little spikes coming off it. Yes. So that can be read as both he and ka. And the situation in which it's read as he and ka varies depending on what it is you're talking about. Um, yeah, so for example, Kazan Volcano right. is like Fire Mountain. I can't think of one thinking of he. This is a really bad example. <laughs> My candy is really bad. He has a car on fire. Um, he has a car on fire. Oh, on fire. On fire. I think that's he. I'm, I'm not sure though. If you, I should have said water. <laughs> I should have said water. Water is easier. Can I say water instead? Let's go with water. We'll change that out. Okay, water. So water can be pronounced two ways generally, sui and mizu. And if it's a more natural form of water, or like a water you're not going to drink, then it's sui. If it's a water you're going to drink, then it's mizu. Mizu and sui. So, for example, I teach at a school called sui-san, which means just fishery school. Yeah. Okay. So that's the water, water school, basically. But if I were to go into a bar and go, can I have a glass of water? That's Mizu. But it's the same kanji. Yeah. I'm glad <laughs> I, I didn't try to learn it. <laughs> I'm already getting my, my mind like, yeah. working too yeah. hard for this time and in the morning. It's great if you're dyslexic too. That's wonderful. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. And I suppose what I've heard as well is that there are several different stories about trying to learn Japanese. A lot of people will try and speak Japanese when they're in Japan but Japanese people are quite keen on practicing their English. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, just because like it's, 
in Japan, it's very rare for people to um, speak English. If they if they have a lot of confidence, then they really want to practice it. Um, especially in school, kids don't have any confidence at all. So if somebody is really trying to speak English with you, that's that's actually like a really really like big thing. Like it means they really want to try. So like definitely like encourage them, encourage them because it's really cool. It's it like I know that seems really weird, but knowing how unconfident Japanese students are in their English ability when somebody is really trying to speak English like that it's a really big compliment that they re- they're really trying so yeah and um, it can oh, sorry oh no so, sorry carry on carry on uh yeah it, I, I imagine if you're trying to learn Japanese it can be a bit annoying but I don't mind I think it's cool yeah I mean it is definitely a cool thing but it's definitely a it's definitely a language I prefer to listen to and watch on like the TV as opposed to try and learn on I know, I need, I need to try, but it's always that problem of finding someone to practice with, isn't it? Pick up a language. Yeah, definitely. And especially with COVID, like, because it was kind of like, don't go to classes, don't speak to anyone. All of my Japanese practice was kind of just reading. Okay. Um, the fun one. Yeah, so it was kind of like theoretical, not like in an actual live situation. But now that we can kind of communicate more with each other and I've got like some more Japanese friends. I'm like, okay, please tell me exactly what I need to say with the correct intonation. And then so I can repeat it to the person and just like get my confidence skills up. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's more of a question of confidence than it is with actual skill level. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I agree 100% on that when it comes to doing a, any kind of language. I think you need to have the confidence to practice it. If you get it wrong, you get it wrong. But again, in a, in a yeah, yeah, yeah. Hand, they want it. As long as you can do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, now, we, we've kind of touched upon it a couple of times about COVID. Now, this is, um, it's never ah. really past news, but I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about your time in COVID. Now, I knew a few people who were still abroad teaching and it was a case of remote classes locked in their apartments. Um, there's various different horror stories from various countries around, but what was your experience like throughout the COVID lockdown? Because Japan is still quite quite strict i suppose when it comes to covid it it definitely was it, the kind of stricter rules ended in the summer so i remember we were still masking we were still wearing masks not really i'll come on to that in a moment actually uh but we were still masking until around the summer and then everyone stopped kind of just after summer it, it was kind of just like a feeling like everyone just stopped maybe there was a government mandate or something but um yeah, Japan is very interesting with its COVID regulations in that there weren't really many. Um, what I mean by that is, it, obviously, you were told to be cautious, but there were never really any rules around COVID, apart from, like, international travel. There was kind of, like, just, like, don't do this. Don't go out. Don't do these things. Like, it, they weren't, like, kind of finable or enforceable. It was just don't do them. And nobody kind of did them. Uh, Japan, um, again, historian by training, Japan, I think maybe they suffered very heavily during Spanish flu. Yeah. So even when you're sick in Japan, uh, it's common to wear a mask just because you don't want to get other people sick. And um, yeah, so the initial COVID lockdowns, we didn't really have COVID. Obviously in the spring of what was it, 2020, when nobody knew what was going on. There was no classes because, you know, we all thought we were going to die. Um, but uh, when we when we eventually started going back to school, um, we didn't really have times when... 
outside of like a specific school outbreak when there was like a national lockdown don't leave the the house mm. if that makes sense it wasn't like I, I mean obviously i don't know what the british situation is like but there was like the national lockdowns and it was like don't leave for like month seasonal three month periods at a time or whatever yeah. that never really happened in japan it was just kind of like please don't go out if you can avoid it okay so Funnily enough, just use your common sense in, in the case of this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I, don't know, I read something there. Like I remember reading, like uh, what is it? We have to change the 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 saying "avoid it like the plague" because it turns out people don't actually do that. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah, just use your common sense. Don't, don't, don't kiss random people. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that the best one that I ever heard was. Well, basically, the big joke I think around here was don't go licking the underground railings. Yeah, I mean, but I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a group of people that would do that just to prove they're free or something. Yeah, it seems yeah. like something, something weird I would do. Yeah. What about um? What, what about classes during that period? You mentioned you know don't go outside, you can avoid it. Be safe. Use your common sense. But were, were classes yeah. like were the chairs spaced further apart? Did you have to do remote <laughs> lessons? Um, yeah, so obviously we're in English class where it was talking, and during the period, like I said, in 2020, when there was, nobody knew what was going on, um, we didn't know, we didn't really know if masks were, I remember we didn't really know if masks were effective at the start of the pandemic, um, so, yeah, initially it was like, can you engineer your lessons in a way that limits kids talking as much as possible which for an English communication class kind of difficult um, yeah. so yeah kind of difficult so uh, we were we were experimenting with like chat functions and like whiteboards and like paper marking and like how to like get it to work and then eventually as things began to mellow out a little bit we worked at the the virus a little more we were able to work around um we were able to know and know how we could limit the kids' interactions in a way that they could still have those interactions, but not in a way that spread COVID yeah. unnecessarily. Um, yeah, it was it was very difficult. Remote, in terms of remote classes, uh, usually if a kid had a notion of being sick, um, they would... Uh, we have like a... The kids recently all got Chromebooks that they can all work on, and they would sort of like zoom in as it were to to classes remotely um there would be like a stand and you'd have like the 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 uh chromebook folded with a camera on you so the kid could still participate in the lesson um and yeah but i'd say the worst part was that initial 2020 because nobody knew what was happening and we didn't know if we were gonna die if you know if we could have class, if we could do anything, what's going on. Um, so yeah, that was that was the worst part. But I say I have a very unique COVID experience compared to most Brits, just because I was like in a different in a different country and in a completely different environment. Um yeah. A lot of places had the lockdowns. I knew people who were in like central Shanghai, they were in China, they had those like localized lockdowns where they had food delivered. Um, obviously for in the UK we weren't allowed to leave the house for more than an hour at a time you know you have to schedule in all these things to make to try and reduce human contact effectively you're making it sound like it's so much more relaxed and much more reliant yeah. on common sense were there any moments of I don't want, you know of outbreak I suppose Did, was there a kid who got sick 
and then it kind of spread around the school and you're like, right, school's closing down now. Yes, definitely. Um, so like I said, 20 schools, so we had a wide variety. My There were like places in like, so there were kind of levels of severity. So if it was just one kid, it would be like a class. If it was like several kids, it would be like the school year. And if it was a lot of kids, it would be the entire school. So it kind of like yeah, varied from, from it, it just sort of worked like that. At least at my schools, that's what happened. Um, but we definitely did have school-wide lockdowns. In terms of city-wide lockdowns, there must have been at some point, but they 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 weren't really like the fact that I'm struggling to remember them should tell you that like they weren't as probably as pernicious as the ones in the UK or as strictly enforced. No, I mean that's 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 just wild to think. It's that's so <laughs> different to almost any other story that I've heard from anyone that. But also remember, just... like Japan in general, it suffers from a lot of natural disasters, so generally people do use their common sense you know we got we get earthquakes we get hurricanes we get blizzards yeah we get we get blizzards and hurricanes somehow don't know how that works but we get them (laughs) (laughs) and and my personal favorite always my personal favorite one i was not expecting the north korean nuclear missiles they occasionally happen too they're um yes fun (laughs) that that is something again because it we hear about it a little bit, like on the news every now and then, when when good old Kim decides to to do something a bit. Mm. You know, but it happens. I don't say fairly frequently, but it happens much more than what we would hear on the news over here. Mm. I was having a look. I don't know if this is accurate. I think there was one North Korean missile missile launch in the Sea of Japan as recent as July of this year. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so usually. Um... I'm not trying to defend the North Korean government here, but usually it's a response to like an American military exercise. So I remember the first time it happened to us, Kamala Harris, who's the vice president, did like a big tour of the DMZ and it was a response to that. Um, so <laughs> they're kind of predictable in that respect. <laughs> but um, Just keep an eye on, on American politics. Yeah, so if you ever look at like the trajectory of the nuclear missiles, they fly right over southern Hokkaido usually. Um, we did have a little chat in our in our ALT chat about it once, and I came to the conclusion it's because it's probably most likely because that's the only route they would fire them where it would be very unlikely they actually hit something, if that makes sense. Because obviously, yeah. if they actually hit something, that's the world's ended. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so if you fire them across this this my area of Hokkaido, that's generally where they're going to enter the sea. Interestingly, the fun thing about the nuclear the, the fun thing about the nuclear missiles, wow, um, is that um, they are hypersonic missiles. So we get an alert on our phones telling us there's a missile launch. She- seek shelter. What are you going to do? <laughs> Seek shelter or more likely just drink all the alcohol within your house. Uh, but because they're hypersonic, by the time you've read that message, it's already hit the ocean. So wow. I don't know if that's terrifying or a comfort. In my case, it's a comfort. But um, it, they're kind of pointless in that regard. Like, you wouldn't yeah. even know. Like, and... It's also interesting how I now know what the reaction of most of the human race would be to a nuclear war. 
because basically the the first time it happened for me at least it was really heavily raining outside so when i got the the burp burp alert on my phone it was like i just thought it was like a flood warning just for the flood and then when i scanned it i was like that's a joke put it down and i kid you not you about most people they said did the exact same thing they were just like that's a joke or what can you do what can you do like because literally what can you do in that situation yeah i mean it's i mean it's nothing that i could possibly kind of like imagine really because I think we had a test of this like government alarm system on our phones earlier this year, yeah. and um, everyone just kind of went. Everyone just thought they were getting pranked or something, but yeah, no, genuinely, I mean, exactly. You, you just think it's a joke. You just think it's yeah. a joke because I think because a that's a comfort, and b the world's ending. What can I do? <laughs> exactly. I suppose you can't really po- really comprehend the fact yeah. that. that I, a nuke has been launched. I yeah. mean, it's, it seems so so weird to say, but again, you're, you're it, in, in the like afterglow, as it were. It, it was a situation just like, huh? You just had to like sit there. And my coworker was just like, my coworker is Canadian. She was like, so in Canada, we have this food. It's called chicken waffles. Basically, it's fried chicken. And I was like, let's go get it. Let's. We need that right now. We need the fried chicken right now, right now. <laughs> That's what I want. Fried chicken and maple syrup of all the things. <laughs> I know it's a beautiful creation. Those Canadians gave us something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing so they like is poutine, and I'm like, poutine. yeah, it's chips and gravy. They're like, have you ever tried it? And I'm like, I've I've created that independently of knowing what it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, chip, chips and gravy. We we've got chippies in the UK. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, on top of nuclear alerts, blizzards, earthquakes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> natural disasters. I mean, you can see why Japan, you know, personified all this disaster in like their iconic Godzilla films. Yeah. But um, when you went over there, and obviously doing some research, what were? Did you not even think about these kind of things? And then when you got your, when did you first find out? I mean, did someone sit you down and goes, "Listen, here's your phone, here's your SIM card. Maybe once a month you're going to get a, a ping going off." Just uh, just heads up. So it's interesting because like obviously I was expecting the earthquakes. Wasn't so much expecting the hurricanes, because if you don't know, Hokkaido is right next to Siberia. So I kind of wasn't expecting hurricanes, to be honest. Well not hurricanes, they're typhoons. Duh. Annoying. But um semantics, yay. Uh English teacher. But um the the snow I was kind of expecting, because again Siberia, what I wasn't expecting obviously was the global pandemic. Um, that really came out of the blue. I, I don't think anyone was expecting that. Um, so yeah, um, in terms of like what I was expecting, the pandemic was the one that I think I just really wasn't prepared for. Um, but earthquakes, blizzards, to a certain extent, tsunamis, that I was kind of like, okay, that's just going to be an experience that I have to learn how to deal with. I love the fact it's an experience you have to learn to deal with. <laughs> if people in England panic when there's an inch of rain and you're talking about... Oh, no, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke at my high school. We get like a, we get like a three, like a, not even a three, like a four or five earthquake because the earthquakes on the Richter scale are, um, what do you call it, log- logarithmic? So they, they get exponentially worse with each number. So a five is like much worse than a four and a six is like much much worse than a five like it's like 
it's bigger. Yeah. And uh, so I tell them, like, yeah, if we get, like, a two earthquake, it's on the news for, like, a week. <laughs> it's like... And they're like, oh. what? <laughs> and what, what's what's the highest number that you've experienced now? Uh, an earthquake, like... Uh... Hmm. It depends on where it is close to you. Six or five, maybe? So, earthquake, you can't predict an earthquake, but you can generally predict the fault lines. So, yeah. the, um, the, the big earthquake, the, to the Tohoku earthquake that happened in 2011, that's generally once in a hundred years. Um, in Hokkaido, we get one that's about once in every 10 years. Um, uh, there is a big one scheduled for off the east coast of America, of, of the Americas. Um, that, there's a big one coming in the next 30 years, according to all human history. It's a 300-year one. So that's going to happen in the next 30 years. And uh, that's interesting. So, yeah, earthquakes aren't really predictable, but they have a pattern, kind of, yeah. when they're going to appear. Uh, so you just got to learn how to deal with that. Just be like, okay, this is happening. Take it as we can. I mean, it's you know, that, that, again, there's no point dwelling on it, is there? Yeah. Like you say, when you get the message about the nuke being launched... What matter. can you do? What can you do? Exactly. Now, I've, I've, I've really got a sense that you've kind of reset in. You love, you love living there. I mean, that's very clear to see. Um, one, one thing everyone will be thinking about or probably not prepared for is culture shock. And Japan is a, is a country so rich in history, heritage, respect, very different in, in a way to how people may be living in England. Mm. Before I went out there just for a, a holiday, it was a case of don't do this, you know, don't put your chopsticks in the rice. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do these little bits and bobs, you know, and just, you know, be respectful. It's yeah. a very place built on respect. As you mentioned earlier, you had you studied history yeah. and a lot of that was in around japan and um, if i remember correctly looking at the history around the edo period yeah, yeah and so a lot of your background is really about kind of knowing japan kind of kind of yeah so i kind of on, on my history degree i focused in like three main areas i was history and archaeology so one of them was archaeology don't just don't worry about that. <laughs> I know a lot about cats. And the other two were, um, I basically focused on the colonial era and Japan. And there is a, a bit of crossover between those two, if you know the more recent history of Japan. Um, so I, I know a lot about both Japanese history and society, but I also know a fair amount about the way we, as Westerners, view Japanese like non-Western societies, just like through through a lens, how we look at it through a certain lens, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, so I sort of knew the general attitudes that Westerners have when they go to other countries and like how to view it. And maybe because of that and a combination of like my backgrounds and like my knowledge of Japanese history and where my parents are from, Honestly, I didn't really... Maybe it was a combination of those factors. I didn't really experience much culture shock for the basic reason that, if I could sum it up for a sentence, I went in looking for... I went in looking for similarities and not differences. So I kind of went in it from the mindset that everyone says Japan is a different country. It's so far away. It's the Far East. They're so crazy. Everything's going to be my, my anime weebu life. And then I, I just went in going like, I want to look for the things that are similar. What are like the exact like 
the similarities between like say Japan and the UK or Japan and my life. And of course, you're gonna find a lot more sim like Japanese people. It needs to go without saying, Japan is a country full of people. The UK is a country full of people. The similarity, there are so much more similarities than there are differences. Like the differences are cool and they're really interesting, but also the similarities between these vast, like vastly different countries are like, that was what really interested me. And because of that, I tended not to experience much culture shock, if that makes sense. Just because I was like going out going, oh, that's kind of similar to the UK. Oh, that's literally the exact same wording. Why is that? Yeah. No, I really like that. I think, so what kind of similarities... I mean, you still would be surprised when you're looking. Yeah, at of course, what, obviously. What so, interestingly, I had the reverse of what of the shock that they thought I was going to have because at my base school they don't wear uniforms, and I'm used to the UK where we all wear uniforms, but they're used to having ALTs from countries where they don't wear uniforms, and then coming to a situation uniforms. So there was a thing with uniforms for a while when I was like. I can't recognise my kids outside school because they don't wear uniforms. That's weird. Um, but that's not really culture shock. That's just something that I was like, oh, that's a slight inconvenience for me. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, sorry, what, were you, what was your question again? Sorry. <laughs> so what, what was like the similar, what was a shocking similarity for you or one that really stood out? Like, Oh, just it's, it's really how similar, like, just how similar, like, Japanese people are to... British people in terms of mainly in terms of like humor, work culture, just like the way that they, they view life and like their jobs. Like I make like you know how Brits tend to have a very specific form of like dark, kind of macabre, sometimes a bit arrogant humor. You can kind of make a joke and it be like a bit dry and sarcastic. They get it. it. They get it. They get it instantly. I can make it I can make jokes like that to the kids because of the nature of the joke. They don't understand English. They still get the joke because it's just naturally funny <laughs> to them. Oh. And that was something that really shocked me, just how, like... It wasn't culture shock. I was just, like, the ability to, like, be, a, like, a Brit and, like, understand that they still get, like, our humour and our jokes and just, like, you know, the way we talk, the way we view the world. It was very similar. Yeah. Right, me. Do, um... From what I've seen, a lot of like the East and Eastern countries, they've got, I think purely just because of the, the size and scope and reach of America, it's quite Americanized in a lot of things they do. But you mentioned their sense of humor and their tone, their way of like just themselves is quite relatable to being British. Yeah. There... So for example, the other day I was like talking to my, my Japanese teacher just like after doing a mega class of five classes in a row. If you want to know, um, we have, our days are five periods. So I was teaching a class every period. I just turned to him and said, do I look as dead as I feel? And he was like, yes, you do. Go home. And in my head, that's a very British joke. Something that maybe like my American colleague would be like, okay, no, we, need to, we need to portray, we need to portray strength and Protestant work ethic and unity. And like, you know, I need to sh not show an ounce of weakness. And we just felt like, we want to die. I want a beer. I want the weekend. I want the summer vacation. I literally walked in the day after summer vacation ended. I want I wanted to be Christmas. And he was like, me too. <laughs> Which is weird because the general stereotype of Japan is that overwork, working hard. Long hours. If you, if you actually talk to them, you can have like, some fun <laughs> like just I mean, 
I've got to ask now for the for the fun side of things. You mentioned yeah. this you know, sense of humor from the Brits, the Japanese sharing that, a sense of oh god, I, where when's five o'clock? Yeah. Have you taught them any kind of classic British swear words like bollocks, wanker, tosser? <laughs> and, and in return, have you learned any um fun Japanese expressions of I don't know? No, but I'll tell you something interesting that did occur. One of my, my favorite schools to teach at are the special needs schools. Um, because Japanese classes are very structured. And sometimes that means that sometimes kids are a bit afraid to say what they think. At the autism schools, they don't teach the kids that. They love to get them to express themselves, kind of. And we were playing a card game. And one of the kids just, he lost at a game of Uno. And he just went, oh, fuck. I lost. And the teacher just looked at me for a moment and he was like, are you going to like do that? And I'm like, correct English. What do you want me to correct? He lost the card game. <laughs> perfect. Perfect use of English. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I always remember that moment and I, I, I loved that just because, you know, yeah, it was cool. I to mean, those are the moments that are brilliant. Yeah. I was just like, wow, that is genuinely really cool. A lot of my students would just start going around saying swear words, and for the life of me, I wouldn't have a clue where they learned them from. Yeah, is spot on. <laughs> but also, like, I think some certain swear words don't have the power in Japan that they do in English media. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. definitely. Uh, so I do have to be like, okay, if you want to use that word, that's fine. But in this context, this is a formal situation. This is a classroom. We don't use that word. Outside the classroom, it's fine, I don't care. But in the classroom, we're not going to use that for today. Okay. Uh, in terms of teaching me Japanese swords or things, I've never asked. I imagine if I asked, they'd tell me straight away, but I've never asked. <laughs> well, hey, so if, if there's some sort of slang word for, for wanker or anything like that, I'd love to hear it. I, there's nothing better than knowing a good swear word in another language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, usually my Japanese teachers are, because... Uh, like I said, it's it's very rare for Japanese people to be like interested in English. So like when they are interested in English, they really really love it. And because I'm it's super into my history, my etymologies of words, why we say certain things the way that we do. Like I'm I'm always up for a discussion about that. So one of my teachers loves the word ish. She's literally fallen in love with the word ish. So you know oh, I'm gonna go there now ish. Ah, oh, you know I'm a bit peckish. I really want this. And she loves to use it because it's like, it's a such an, it's like the word okay. You can just use it for every situation. True. Yeah. So that's gen generally our discussions or like, or like discussions on like, why is it that there are like seven different words for the same thing? Why is it that the word Q has five letters in it? Why are these, why, why are we like this? Um, what did I explain the other day? I had to explain why the months are the, are wrong. Do you know how the months are wrong? The months are wrong. Yeah. yeah. So for example, January, February, March, April, May. The, the month numbers are wrong. So September, October, November, December. Sept yeah. is seven, right? But it's the ninth yeah. month. Oh gosh. <laughs> Oct is eight, but it's the tenth month. And I needed to explain why that was the other day. Do you want to know why? Why? Um, so there used to be two other months, um, and they uh, renamed them to July and August, and that shifted all the months down. And you, where did that originate from? Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar. Well, then we know who to blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they used to have. 
they used to have different names and it was like the latin word for six yeah that's like quintilis and sextilis or something i think the months were called i don't know i just, I just learned this <laughs> i mean i can't help it I'm, I'm addicted to reddit so if i i can't go down these rabbit holes I'll, uh, I'll yeah i mean i used these amazing before coming but... to japan i used to work in an office job where we had access to wikipedia and i just i was like I was like, I was just absorbed it slowly, <laughs> absorbed the whole thing. Wikipedia completed it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Um, there's one of now. I've I've touched upon it, and you've kind of mentioned it. We've got this kind of not lack of culture shock, but more this. I want to say culture, culture embrace, culture similarities that you were going after, <laughs> and kind of knowing Japanese, picking up, were you much, and obviously with your history lesson, were you much into Japan beforehand, before going into this JET program and even hearing about it? Like, did you yeah, enjoy to, Japanese pop culture? To a certain extent, yeah. I kind of, it was kind of at its peak at the start of, say, secondary school. That's when I was really into Japan. And then it slowly, like, went down off hill. Like, I used to read, like, manga and, like, watch anime slowly slowly went down now generally i don't read much anime or don't watch much anime or manga just because most anime and manga are set in high schools and it reminds me of work um <laughs> don't know if you have you ever played the game persona 4 yes right so there's a mission in persona 4 it's one of the first missions where you have to find the teacher's room in the high school and you don't have a map so you just need to go around the entire school and try and find that teacher's room. But because I've worked in over 25 high schools, I was like, Japanese high schools are very formulaic. I know exactly where that teacher's room is. It's right next to the student entrance and that's where it was. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. Um, so these days I don't absorb a lot of Japanese pop culture. Um, I'm kind of just like, I'm more into reading some books. I read a lot of books, but I want to get back into it. I really do. It's just there's only so many hours in a day, eh? But oh, uh, definitely. Is, yeah. it, is it English textbooks or are you focused on the Japanese reading? Oh me. Uh I'm I, I'm that I'm that weirdo that reads nonfiction books for fun. Um yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> Naomi Klein just released a new book and I'm like, yeah, I want it. Sixteen hours, give it to me, Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. activist really good recommend her book no logo it's it's a good one what what is the rest of the kind of social life like around your area then mm. in terms of like tourism or in terms of like people i know well Both? let's um let's dive into more about you from what i've read again hokkaido is not so much a touristy destination it's mm. quite limited in the amount of expats they get that i even read a piece mm. saying that the locals around southern hokkaido still get a bit fascinated when they see a foreigner come interesting, about. Interesting, interesting. Okay. I don't know if that's true. Here's, but... here's, here's my, my person who's lived in South of Hokkaido thoughts for a couple of... So, um, interestingly, history lesson. So, in the 18... I'm going to say 50s, 40s, um, Japan used to be uh, closed off to the rest of the world. They'd shoot you if you... Well, they wouldn't shoot you, they'd just send you away. Uh, if a Western ship tried to enter the port, I think it was only the Dutch who could trade with Japan. This is a whole thing. Uh, it wasn't until the Americans came in and, like, basically forced them to open up that Japan opened up to the rest of the world. And the first port of call that they came to was Southern Hokkaido. So, actually, in Southern Hokkaido, there is a 
lot of Western infrastructure. There's an entire area of the city of Hakodate, a quarter of the city that's like the foreign quarter. And it's bizarre when you go there. Like you feel like you're in in one street, it's like the Russian section. So there's like Russian churches. The next street is like a Dutch section. There's a British section. It's very weird when you go there. And I guess this leads on to the point about tourism, just because Interesting how you say, like, it's not really a popular touristy area. Uh, I know about this because my kids do presentations about it all the time. Um, it is a touristy area, but just Western tourists don't come here. So the city that I live in, Hakodate, is one of the most popular tourist destinations in Japan, actually. It's very highly. People know Hakodate, they want to come here. It's just that... Um... Sorry, one second. It's just that Japan has a massive internal tourism industry as opposed to foreign tourists. So generally in Europe, we tend to travel to each other because we in Britain used to be able to go to Europe easily <laughs> and get um, oh, polit politics. Yay. Um, yeah, but Japan, if you think about it, like, you know, a lot of people in Europe tend to speak English as a lingua franca. In Japan, not many people outside of Japan tend to speak Japanese. So Jap Japanese people tend to holiday in their own country and has its own sort of touristy industry. So if you're here, you'll know there's like a lot you can do locally that generally to international audiences will go completely just over their heads. So yeah, so every town in Japan has its own like has its own kind of touristy section, like something that will make it famous. It has a local speciality. It has a mascot. It has a place where you can buy souvenirs. Like almost every town in Japan has that, beyond a certain size, obviously. So um, in terms of like um, international tourists, we don't get a lot of them. But in terms of internal Japanese tourists, we do get a bunch. We do get a bunch. Like I literally went to Tokyo and I was able to talk about some of the things you could do in, in Hakodate with some local Tokyo people just because they'd heard of it. That makes sense. Oh wow. And Wait, what, what kind of things happened to Hakodate? do in like Hakodate or like Southern Hokkaido? Yeah, in um in Hakodate. What, Hakodate. what what is the what is the what is the draw for all the um international uh, local tourism, sorry? So there's a lot of pretty pictures you can take pictures of. It's quite a historic city for the aforementioned reasons because it's got a lot of different architectures. There's um, there's a ropeway going up to Mount Hakodate where you can take uh, photos of Hakodate spectacular night views. Why I'm intonating like that is because that's what it says on the tram when you stop. <laughs> it's like, if you'd like to take a picture of Hakodate spectacular night views, please get off here. Uh, <laughs> and there's parks. There's lots of parks. Um... And then just in terms of, like, yeah, there's, like, restaurants and things you can eat. So the local speciality in Hakodate is squid. Um, so if you love squid, you're, you're in for a treat. There's also lots of festivals that you can travel to and do. So there's, like, in Hakodate, we have the Port Festival and the Squid Festival and the Christmas Festival. Um, you can travel around for that as well. And there are smaller towns that have their own festivals, their own events, things you can go visit, things you can go see. For example, in Hokkaido, there are like 10 or 20 different Pokemon-themed manhole covers, and you can go and take photos of them all. Um, there's also skiing, obviously, in Hokkaido. There's activities, there's windsurfing. There are beaches in this city. I would not swim in them. Um, yeah, so there's a lot you can do if you know what to do. But in terms of like 
if you're gonna come here for like a resort holiday, like I think most Westerners do, or to go see sites that are like really famous, yeah, you can't really do that. But if you know where to go here, yeah, there's a lot you can do. Again, from what I've read and what I looked around and kind of before talking, it does look like there's so much amazing kind of natural beauty there, landscapes, places to visit, lovely mm. kind of like towns and uh, again, it'll, mountains. It's Seeing actual mountains, like not like hills, like mountains. That did get no, me. No, <laughs> I mean, I can't even fathom someone saying mountain in terms of the United Kingdom, but yeah. mountains very much like, so. Snow-topped mountains with bears. <laughs> wow. And Oh yeah, we get bear attacks too. That's another thing. Missiles, bear attacks. They get a ping on your phone saying there's a bear in the area. Uh, we're quite rural, so they don't tend to annoy us that much. Um, oh, my teacher told me um, the Hokkaido bears are. Well, first of all, get away. I think they're the don't play dead ones. They're the fight back ones. I think. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. So there, there are. You know. Do you know the saying? Yes. It, brown, it? lie down. If it's brown, lie down. If it's black, fight back. If it's white, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of mountains, this this is a question that I like to bring up yeah. to, to a lot of people when I speak to them, is a lot of people, when they're going places, especially when they're moving, they're kind of overwhelmed. There's a bit of a sensory overload. Mm -hmm. They can almost miss the fact they've moved country. They've packed up their lives. They've got, they're living out of a suitcase. Yeah. And they kind of miss that moment of almost self-reflection and looking back, that big moment. I had one, funny enough, when I walked up a, a mountain behind, near oh, my I apartment know. building. I know what you're talking about, I looked yeah. over and it, you kind of just stop and pause. Yeah. Did you have that big moment of like taking that breath and like, <laughs> I've moved, I'm in Japan? <laughs> so I'm not sure if you know it. But um, there's a famous-ish building in the Shinjuku area of Tokyo that's called the Tokyo Metro Building. Have you ever played the game Final Fantasy XV? Yes. Okay, you know you know, at the end you have to climb up to that big building that looks a bit like Notre Dame? Yes. Yeah, okay. So that's the Tokyo Metro Building. It's really famous. Um, I remember looking up at that building in, from my hotel room at the jet orientation and just went, what the fuck? <laughs> What the hell are you doing? Run. You could walk back to the UK. It's not that far. Um, <laughs> like, run. What are you doing? And then, even now, even now, I just go, I'm in Japan. Like, I literally just look around and just go, I'm in Japan. What What the hell? Like, how did I get here? Like, that ASDF movie? How did I get here? Like, how did I get here? Like that. <laughs> yeah. It, it happens and it still happens. Some people get it. Like I was speaking to a friend the other day. She's like, every day I wake up and I'm, there's a moment where I'm just like, where am I? <laughs> like, what am I doing here? What a place to wake up and then kind of have that, that thought. Yeah. 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 How did I get here? Do you come back to England much or? So my, my first time back to the UK was last December. Um, I did the whole surprise my parents thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it was fun. And here's, here's another example of where um, Brits and Japan, Japanese people were the same. Like, I was telling all my all my American friends, like, I'm 90% sure my mum will probably hit me. Like, I'm 90% sure she'll smack me in the face. My American friends being, oh my God, no, that's horrible. And my, my Japanese teacher's going like, I'd do it if you did that to me. I'd, I'd smack you right in the face. <laughs> She didn't. She didn't smack me, but we were all very surprised that she didn't. <laughs> well, how, how do you find being so far 
like obviously so far away from home for such a long period of time. Did, is it okay. fine? I mean, do you this, just this is where I tell you my dark villain backstory. Um, so oh, yeah, I have a dark villain backstory. Literally, I guess. Yeah, he did try to conquer the earth. Yeah. Um, fun fact. <laughs> okay, so my parents are from a very strange area of the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Um, a very very strange area. So um, they are from the island of Saint Helena. Do you know where this is? No, I can't say I do. Okay, so you know how the UK has those tiny little dots of islands reminiscent of the old empire that they still keep? Yes. That's one of those places. So my parents are from the British Overseas Territory of St. Helena. It's a um, tiny little island between Brazil and Angola. Or did you just look it up on your phone? <laughs> I did, yeah. I just had to try and get my bearings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tiny little piece of land between Brazil and Angola. And before we got our airport built, which was, by the way, seven years, seven, no, eight, you know, seven years ago. Um, the only way to get there was by boat for five days. This is all leading to the point that um, what I'm saying is um, I'm used to not seeing family members for decades at a time. So it's it's very common to, like, not see each other for, like, long periods of time so I remember my mom was talking to a friend of hers and like she was talking about me and it's just like is it weird that he hasn't come back and seen you in like three years and my mom was just there like okay I imagine to you this is kind of weird but to us that's fairly normal <laughs> this is just going to the shops yeah 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 like is it 10 years what's that like yeah oh, wow. my yeah my parents have they've been they went back in to visit St. Helena in 2003 and then the next visit was in 2017 so we're talking long gaps and because it's such a small island community everyone knows each other so yeah. you know it's like not much change like it's been that's a gap of like what 13 years just you know but they still know each other they still know each other over all that time so what this is leading up to me to say uh, is um, that I, I'm used to not seeing members of my extended family for very long periods of time. And I think that certainly helped, especially during coronavirus, just because mm. it didn't phase me at all. In case you're wondering, it's the island where Napoleon got exiled to. Oh, right. Okay. Hence the whole dark villain backstory. Yeah. Tried to conquer the earth thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's where that came from. I'm not insane. Well, yeah. <laughs> he hasn't really got that dark dark history. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I suppose now you're you're looking to stay. You're looking to find mm -hmm. that new job out of Jet. Is do you think Japan's the long term, or do you think it's going to be just another five years? Or are you playing it year on year? Uh, for the time I want to stay here, just for the aforementioned economic reasons, uh, the UK yeah. is not um, So it's, even my parents were like, we love you, stay there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So I think, I think we're going to stay here for the foreseeable future. As to somewhere else abroad in the future, um, I'm not quite sure. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I have got like the next stage of my life mapped out. It's just that Global global events has stated the importance of having a stable financial system in place, um, shall we say. It's vital. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is certainly something I want before I go moving on to the next thing. Also, with coronavirus, I haven't really, I don't think I've been able to explore Japan as much as I sort of wanted to, because oh. I haven't really been able to explore for like the last three years. And there was another thing. Yeah, once I go back, when I eventually go back or move on somewhere else, I'm, I, I don't want it to be, but I feel like that's kind of going to be it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, once I move back to the UK, you know, you're not going to be able to move back to Japan again. And if I leave now, I feel like I'm going to be like a bit robbed as it were, of an opportunity, because we're able to explore more. So being able to explore more is nice. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned you've been to Tokyo. Mm. Um, what, where else in Japan have you kind of been? Have you been... Where else have you had a chance to explore? I All the touristy places. All the touristy places. So the big, the bigger city near me, the one that has a nightclub, um, is Sapporo. <laughs> Um, so been there a bunch of times, uh, Tokyo, Osaka, and then I'm not sure if you know where this is, but Okinawa. Yes, I know Okinawa. Okinawa, it's a great holiday destination. It's unfortunately also one massive US military base. Um, but, um, you go there and it's like, this is, this is what I think LA looks like. I've never been to America, but I'm like, this is what I think it feels like. (laughs) Um, so yeah, Okinawa. And then I also want to know... I want to like explore a couple other cities in Japan. I've never been to Kyoto, never been to Hiroshima. Definitely a place I want to visit, especially as a historian. Um, and then also other countries in East Asia, I'd love to visit South Korea, um, Vietnam, the Philippines. Although my Filipino friends said at the height of summer, like go in the winter because you won't be able to handle the, um, the heat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> The great thing is you've, you've got a nice little hub being in Japan, so you can go to all these like different countries. I exactly. Mean, I absolutely love that. Exactly. So, like... so there's no, no, not much point leaving now. Also, like, I don't I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a child. Well, I don't have lucky a partner. So luckily, now's the time to do it, as opposed to, like, in my head, like, I would have done it, like, three years ago, but three years ago was when it was the sad times. So I want to try and do that now. <laughs> You really make it sound like th- this is home. You know, you've got you got your plans in place. You make it sound like popping over to Thailand and, and the Philippines is what a Brit would say. Yeah, do every weekend. Like. Every weekend, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one one really good question I'd, I'd like to ask is this whole idea of a lot of people. We kind of touched upon it a bit here. Romanticism and this kind of I, I call it the thing of Instagram versus reality. Yeah. And people, Japan, as you mentioned, very photogenic. There's so many beautiful places to see. Mm-hmm. It, it is a sensory overload place, especially around kind of central Tokyo. Are there any kind of harsh realities that, or, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you like to find the similarities in it, but were there any harsh no, realities definitely. of getting there? Of getting here or being. Oh, no, sorry, of being there. Sorry. Yeah. Of getting uh... there. I mean, hopefully the plane got you there, but yeah. What oh, were the harsh realities when you got If you, you want to talk there. about that, 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 was, that, was, that was bad. For some reason, I don't know why, they sent us by a Singapore, which oh. is not close to Japan. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I was up like all night before, so I just like fainted and just erased that from my memory. But um, in terms of being in Japan, yes, there are a couple of harsh realities, definitely. And I think the, the ones who moved, the people who moved to Japan and really don't enjoy it are the ones that set kind of very highly unrealistic expectations on what they're going to come here and enjoy. So, for example, I've met ALTs who want to become an ALT, not so much to teach English, but to travel. 
And the oh. problem with that is, is you're here to do a job. And obviously, like, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. They were complaining about, they were straight, there were some ALTs, who, sometimes they're straight out of uni. And they just did like, I really don't like Japan just because like, I came to Japan. I really don't like it just because you know, the work environment is so stressful. And it is true. The work environment is stressful, but from listening to what you was this person was saying, it's like, I feel like what you actually don't like is you don't like the concept of work. You don't like, it's not that you don't like Japan. You don't like working. <laughs> That's yeah. like, yeah. So if you're coming in with like very high expectations, just understand that Japan is a real country with that has problems. It has a lot of problems, and like, it's don't try and like project your ideas of what Japan should be for you, and then be disappointed when it's not what you look up to. I mean, I, I was talking to a Japanese friend yesterday, and she said the, the opposite is also true. Japanese people go to like. France and Australia and they get very disappointed because it's not what they want right but um yeah try not to try not to like like I say look look for similarities not differences because there are differences and Japan does have problems and I'm if you want to talk about that I can talk about that very briefly because they're very interesting actually Um, yeah I mean I mean we were quite interesting and quite eye-opening because I don't know much about the problem so if you could give mm, me a bit of a bit of a headline on them that would be really good to so it's kind of interesting how westerners don't so a lot of westerners uh so how do I explain this how do I explain this so if you were to describe Japan in your ideal image what would it be I'm curious. I've got my my ideal yeah. image. Yeah, the, give the us ideal yeah. image of Japan. I suppose when I look at it, is these um kind of neon lit uh, concrete mm. jungles with beautiful yeah. backdrops, almost like an oil painting, and that's the problem of me over romanticizing it. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, we all do it. Like I said, we all do yeah. it. Um, but yeah. So if you just want to know a bit of Japanese history, so the Japanese economy is the third largest in the world, but it's also very um. In, unstable in that it hasn't experienced any growth since the early 90s mm. so the image of a lot that a lot of people have of japan currently is this high-tech futuristic kind of kind of utopia kind of mixed with like natural beauty far off country eastern country there's cherry blossoms everywhere fun fact the cherry blossoms only bloom for two weeks a year and they die if it rains too heavily <laughs> but yeah they have this like kind of like that that sort of like high-tech futuristic image and while it is true there is a lot of innovation and huge technical innovation in japan that's mainly concentrated in like tokyo and does it necessarily drip down to like local people maybe not all the time maybe not all the time um yeah so like i said and that was the image that generally formed in like the 80s and 90s so if you think about it, we've had two once-in-a-generation crashes in our lifetime. We had the Great Recession of 2008, and we had the COVID, whatever this is we've got now. The two once-in-a-lifetime crashes, right? Japan has had about four. So it had an early 90s crash, it had a late 90s crash, it had the Great Recession, and it had the COVID crash. It's sometimes called the Lost Generation. I think yeah. it's called the Lost Generation, I might be making that up. That's where funny, yeah. it's experienced very little economic growth, kind of. So there are certain ways in which Japan is really technologically advanced. Then there are others in which it is just not. Like, for example, I don't receive emails. I receive faxes. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) 
I receive faxes. I don't receive emails. Um, yeah, for example. But then on the other hand, all of our kids recently got Chromebooks. Yeah. But they don't use email. <laughs> yeah. Um, something like that. Cash payment is still very much a thing here. Whereas when I went to the UK and said that I wanted to pay in cash for my glasses, the woman in Spectator looked at me like I'd shot somebody. <laughs> she was like, yeah, so now I have to go to the stuff. side room and get the bag we specifically use for people like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and in terms of like Japan's big problems, so I mentioned the economy, and that is down to these two major issues that Japan has that most Japanese people will tell you Japan has. Like, this is not me saying this, this like, as a Westerner. This is me literally, literally going to my Japanese teacher yesterday, like, my friend invited me on a podcast. Like, what should I tell them the problems Japan has? These two. Uh, it's the D, um, sorry, I need to get this right. The um, demographic decline. Okay. I'll explain that more in a minute. In a minute. And um, the other one is Japan's work culture. And these are two kind of like, if you imagine them like two kind of suns, dark suns, like orbiting each other, just making each other worse and worse and worse. So the depopulation of Japan uh, is really noticeable um, in that Japan has a very low birth rate. And this means this, I'm not sure if you've heard of this at all. I've, I've heard it recently. I think there was a, a, a piece that I read a couple of weeks ago due to the um, kind of declining birth rate in Japan and the, mm-hmm. and the aging older dem- yeah, yeah. demographic and how they're actually inviting, they're, they're lowering their standards for foreigners to come move into exactly. the country. Exactly. Um, so basically this has been a problem Japan has been dealing with for a very long time and the problem just hasn't been been fixed. So... We have situations where we have classes with one student in them. Um, schools that are shut down just because they don't have any kids. Uh, and then that's leading to what we call a labour shortage. So there is a shortage of unskilled jobs in Japan. Just a shortage. You see you see help wanted posters for every single profession in Japan just because there aren't enough unskilled labourers. Um, and then that doesn't even apply for the skilled labourers. Teacher shortage. And then we come into the problem with Japan's work culture, you know, overwork, overwork. Japan is the land of overwork, mental stress, mental health. Then there's not enough people. There's not enough people to fill the work. So what do you do? You do more overwork. You do more overwork. So what have you not got time for? You've not got time to have kids because you're overworking too much. And then these two problems just kind of, do you know what I mean? Like orbiting each other, yeah, making each other work. You've got Japan's uh, mental health issues kind of with, especially with young people, have one of the highest suicide rates of young people in the world. That is a serious topic, a very serious topic that's kind of being caused by the just overwork system, depopulation system. So Japan does a problem. I'm not saying sat here saying like the UK doesn't have problems. The UK definitely has problems. But if you Japan does have problems, what I'm what I'm trying to say is Japan does have problems. It's not like this amazing utopian futuristic place yeah. um yeah and if you talk to your teachers they will they or people around you they'll tell you these problems straight up i was initially hesitant to talk about it but once you talk about it, they will discuss it you can have long talks about overtime i've never seen one of my teachers get more emotional as when he talked about overtime <laughs> overtime i was like damn <laughs> Does, does are there those two problems? Obviously, you mentioned obviously you've got the kind of the locals. It's going to be something mm. that they've 
grown up with, they they're fully aware of, as you mentioned. Yeah. Is this definitely. anything that kind of gets that you would feel as an expat or any of your colleagues? Is are either of those problems ever? A, I won't say a burden, but I mean, are are you burdened with like? A, I mean, you can. Culture? You can. I mean, in terms of the depopulation, you can see it in terms of just class sizes. In yeah. especially when you go to a rural area, just the sort of like what's it called dilapidation like um sort of like places being abandoned abandoned places i went to a city is a very interesting city called yubari it's famous for melons it used to be a city of 200,000 but in the early 80s it experienced an economic collapse and honestly walking around that city it was kind of like it felt like if i said pripyat <laughs> do you know what that is Papaya is, is I, I don't want to say I'm wrong, but is that one of the, is that like an area around Chernobyl? That's the area around Chernobyl. Like literally it was like, what? No one is here. No one is oh. here. So it's really noticeable, especially in rural areas. Not so much noticeable in Tokyo where there are millions, millions of people. Well, it's but, yeah, yeah in, in, in rural areas, it's really noticeable. In terms of overwork, yeah, I do occasionally do overwork. I'm not as partially subjected to it as the Japanese teachers are because they also have that kind of a little bit of social pressure just to yeah. to do it uh but I, I do do overwork on occasion yeah it's usually it's for a good cause if it's for a, if it's for a not good cause I I, I you know like something <laughs> like I don't need to be here like overworking just for like presenteeism I don't do that. But if it's for a genuinely good reason, like, oh, can you help me do my university application? I'm like, yes. I never do that. Yes, of course I can, darling. I mean, Matt, you, there, we, we've dived on like so much. I, I mean, I feel like I've really learned a lot about it all. Sorry, and, I feel like I, I ended I it on a bit negative note. I, no, I don't, I don't want to end it on this whole... Um, <laughs> Black, black sun circling each other. So what I'd yeah. like to do is kind of take this back. We've talked about, yeah, the, Japan has problems. Every country has problems. And I think of it's course. good to highlight them so people are aware of it. But for you as an expat and we. kind of living out there, coming up to five years now. I said hi. I just said we. I just said hi. Yeah. That's the Japanese for yes. <laughs> That's the one thing that we kind of picked up. So that doesn't throw me off that much. Yeah. But... What what are some of the those romanticized things versions of Japan that you've experienced? Are, are there any that are true? And what are what are these beautiful oil paintings, these neon lit cityscapes? What is the stunning piece of Japan that's kept you there for all these years? Um, honestly, like that's gonna sound like so like vanilla, but I really like like my job and my school. They're really cool people. Knowing the kids, they're super cool. They're really cool if you actually get to talk to them. You know, just having the kids be like like normal kids, just being like, you know, and yeah, just like talking no, with I, I talking with my coworkers, just having like normal experiences. That's 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 really what, what I enjoy doing, just like talking to them and just like, you know, enjoying being here. No, I mean, I, mean, I, I really get that sense from you. You, you, you you're, you're a person who loves knowledge. You love learning. You like picking up. You love reading Wikipedia, which I yeah. <laughs> Have you picked up any? And let's let's keep keep this keep keep this upward stroke of positivity. Upward positivity, yeah. <laughs> have you picked up any any skills, or have you learned anything? You mentioned you took one of the flower arranging yes. classes. Yes. Have you definitely. picked up anything fun that might surprise someone back back west? Uh, in terms, so 
in terms of like specific skills I could learn in Japan, no. <laughs> well, yeah, like Japanese, obviously. But um, in terms of just me being here, maybe this is just me aging, but A, I've become a lot more confident in myself just because now I know I can walk into a, ki- a class of 40 school children and know how to talk to them. Um, and also I know how to communicate with people who can't speak English. Um, you know, I can walk into a room, I know how to communicate with you because I know the general sense of the English words you know as a non-speaker of English. That makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. and then also just organisation and time management. <laughs> I learned that so much quickly. There was, uh, during sure. during the early COVID days, back, in, uh, back, back when, back in those days, uh, I had like a week of hell and I was like, no, not again. So I learned time management. <laughs> I learned time management the hard way. <laughs> now I'm like, now I'm like, whenever, like, I got, when I got like a new co-worker and there was the new school year, I was, I had a brief meeting with one of my teachers where we talked about what we wanted to do for the future. And it took about 10 minutes and he was like, oh, that's the next month. And I was like, no, that's the year. That's, that's where we are. We are like, I'm this far in advance. I'm like, the year is out of the way. <laughs> it, it disgusts me how planned ahead you are. I know it's it's terrifying. It's genuinely terrifying. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, there's going to be a lot for me to digest when I'm going through and editing this. But yeah, th- this has been really, really cool, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you, Matt. Um, you too. You too. It's been great talking to you. Let's do no, it again. Great. I've, I've got a few little questions that I like to throw at everyone at the end. Of course. Now, my favorite one that I like to ask people is the song that's always on their playlist. Is there a song that kind of is always on your playlist that you have while you're in Japan? And maybe is there a song that's on your playlist that reminds you of home? Okay. Okay. So there's, oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Damn. I I really need time to think about this. (laughs) It does tend to catch people off, but... The great thing is, because you've lived there for so long, most people who've been away for a couple of months will just throw out Oasis or Tom Grennan. So, uh, my, the song that's always, always on my plate that will always just get me in the mood. This is going to be a very specifically niche uh, thing, but um, so the winner of twenty twenty three Eurovision, Lorene, won in twenty twenty three, and she won in twenty twenty twelve as well. In 2011, she submitted a song to the Melodia Festivalen called My Heart Is Refusing Me. That is my song, always. <laughs> always. That is incredibly niche. <laughs> internally. It, it, like, it got me through uni. It, whenever, whenever I had a rough day, I just listened to it. It is, it is an absolute banger. It like mixes like Scandinavian techno pop with like Moroccan ululation. Uh, it's so cool. I love it. Syn- synchronicity, you know, it's like synchronicity. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep an eye. Out. I'm not more. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm just. Yeah, that's a very new song my, for my. My, my, my Spotify <laughs> list is growing with each episode of this podcast. That's so niche, but it, it's a party song. I love it. If if you, I'm one of those people who bizarrely likes cardio. I know I'm weird. Reads Wikipedia articles, likes cardio. I should be in an asylum, <laughs> but on the bike, like. That is just, it gets my heart pumping. That and Dua Lipa's physical. God, that's good. Stuff. Okay, yeah, that, 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 I can agree. that gets my heart pumping. I do well. know normal music. I do know normal music, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm not holding anything against you, don't worry. 
<laughs> I'm sure you've got a very eclectic range. Um, another thing, a lot of people when they're packing the bag to go away will tend to put things they think they need, end up don't needing. Yeah. Do you remember if there was anything that you forgot to pack and had a panic about? For me, the um, the, the horror story that I had, uh. you know, I'm not going to go into the reason of why I didn't um, install a VPN. That's just me being stupid. But I completely was oblivious to the whole point of anti-perspirant and, you know, deodorant in China. Yeah, that's a thing. And yeah, um, I didn't realize that my biggest expense, you know, on my shop would be deodorant because I had to go to a specialist mm. shop. To yeah, mine's, um, mine's perfume. Mine's perfume. Yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely. I, was, I was silly enough to think one ca- one stick of deodorant would last me. <laughs> yeah. Full, what, I was. what I didn't bring, oh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm really sorry. Uh... What didn't I bring? What didn't I bring? What didn't I bring? Damn. Well, I'll flip the question around. What is the yeah. what is the one thing you brought that has you know been your been your right hand man, shall we say, for this whole trip? Damn, I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> my, my laptop. I brought my laptop, and it's been with me. Let's go to stay better at the laptop. Yeah, it, and... it, it helps. Me. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw on the topic of laptop, and obviously everyone brings their phone with them as well. The really interesting thing when it comes, you obviously mentioned you can understand some kanji. Did you have to pick up a new phone? Did you have to reformat the phone you had, or <laughs> you just install a lot of apps? So here's your problem. You told me that this was gonna be a happy story, and then you asked oh, no. me a question about buying a phone in Japan. Why would you do but- this? Don't don't I, I, don't do it. I, don't I've heard horror stories about the phone. The phone. Don't 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 buy a phone in Japan. I don't buy a phone. Don't buy internet. Live as a recluse. Just just like, <laughs> same with the faxes. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna say. Don't buy a phone in Japan. Like literally, I with one of my teachers yesterday. I'm like, I need to buy a phone in Japan. She was like, Good luck. She's Japanese. She knows. <laughs> How long is it going to take you to buy this phone? I'm going to the lady said, about two hours. <laughs> like, just give me the phone. <laughs> just do you want my... I remember being on the phone to Docomo. The... Oh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say, like, the name of a company, should I? <laughs> well, let, let's just call them Phone Company A, maybe. To Phone Company A. I was on the phone to Phone Company A because my phone broke and they needed a legal form of document and they were like do you have a water bill on you i'm like yes i do have a water bill i also have three pints of my blood just in case you need that too (laughs) (laughs) so don't buy a phone take one with you don't buy a phone in japan take three take the next Um, iphone if you can (laughs) and happy questions (laughs) moving on Last question, and I'll let you um, in, enjoy your evening. No, you're fine. What, word, what words of advice or wisdom would you impart on someone thinking of applying for the JET program or thinking of moving to Japan? Whether that be about where they choose to go or should they do it or even, you know, just advice on make, make sure you bring a phone. What yeah, advice would you give to someone? Look for similarities, not differences. That's my advice. Yeah. I think I'm just going to call that the title of the episode. I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah, look for similarities, not differences. Don't go around going like, oh, uh, we do it a lot better in the UK because nani nani, like, yeah, it's so much better. Like, 
Tokita. I'd just be like, oh yeah. yeah, that's the same. Like I remember, I don't know if this is a story, but me learning learning to like read kanji. One of my one of my best, proudest Japanese moments is I was looking at a sign outside my school. And I've been wondering for like almost two years at this point what this sign says. What does it say? What does this sign say? It must be important. It's in front of the school. The sign says literally guest parking is here. Um and it says that because obviously it's in front of where guests would park. Because yeah. that's what it says. Plain and simple. That's um, what it is. And that just filled me with such joy because of course the sign says that. That's what the sign says. <laughs> that that seems like a whole like if if earlier was your villain story, that seemed like your wonderful hero story, you know, yeah. understanding the mystery of the sign. Literally, I was talking to my Japanese teacher the other day and she, we were going over some verb conjugations and I was like, oh my God, your language makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. That's what it means. That's what that means. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's an that's a incredibly positive note. And again, Matthew, I'm going to say thank you so much for taking this. No, thank you. It's been super fun. Sorry if I, I went on a rant about japan's social problems but no i absolutely, I absolutely loved it and i loved every 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 second and every nugget of information so again yeah thank you so much for, for this yeah no problem uh anytime thank you it's been wonderful talking to you i hope i've been of of, of help i hope i hope so i hope so if i not, think you so. have um <laughs> yeah this, this is brilliant so again thank you so much and well enjoy the rest of your time in japan for however many years more it might be Thank you. Hope you hope you visit soon. Come come to Tokyo. We'll grab a nana chiki. Let's do it. <laughs> it's a date. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode out every week from new guests and even those from some returning to give us an update on their travels. If you'd like to be on the show to share your story, whether it was in the past, one you're halfway through, or maybe one that's about to begin, you can drop me a message on Instagram at Tales from Travelers. I'd love to hear your story and share it with those eager to listen and learn more about travelling. So until next time, happy travels. <laughs>